uh, I encourage you, download our app. It's Calvary Visalia. If you go and search on the Apple Store or the Android Store for Calvary Visalia, you'll find our app there. You can download it to your phone, and then you'll have instant access to all of our information there. So this sermon is going to be uh, a little short, a little shorter than normal, um, but it'll be part one in a, at least a couple of messages here that I am going to do the next, this next Sunday or two or maybe three, looking at the promises and the covenants of God, uh, specifically related to Israel, the church, and the tribulation period. So there's a lot of information here. Um, and, and I'm not going to get to a whole lot of my, even my introduction here this morning because I, uh, I definitely don't want to just blow through this information and rush through it. I encourage you, uh, get a copy of this message, listen to it later online, and maybe you could sit down and kind of rewind and stop and play and so forth to help you to uh, be able to go and read all of the scriptures and so forth that I'm going to be reading here this morning because I'll be going fairly quickly. Uh, but this is such an important topic, the promises and the covenants of God. W- why does this matter? Well, it, it really matters because uh, this determines your belief in eschatology. This determines your belief uh, in relation to whether God still has a covenant with Israel, the nation of Israel, or, or, or rather if the church has replaced Israel and there is no more Israel, as many churches teach, that the covenant uh, that was given to Israel is now um, ascended to the church, and so there is no more covenant with the nation of Israel. There are many churches that teach this. Uh, Oftentimes, those churches end up becoming very anti-Semitic in their theology. Hitler, of course, and Himmler and those of the Nazi Germany party were of that persuasion, the Reformed uh, Covenant theology persuasion, where, uh, uh, in essence, the Jews are... um, a relic of the past. Israel is a relic of the past. God has replaced Israel with the church is what they say, and therefore God has no plans for the Jews to save the Jews, to come back and redeem the Jews, rescue the Jews, or to set up uh, a kingdom for the Jews. And of course, we would disagree with all of that. Uh, We are dispensationalists in the sense that we believe that there are different eras, epochs, or dispensations of God's working with man, as we're going to see here uh, in this introduction this morning. But this is a very important study, especially as we begin to see all of these signs taking place around us that the Bible predicted would be occurring in the last days before the second coming of Christ. And if you're not looking for Christ to return, then you're kind of oblivious to the signs that are happening, and you think that, you know, maybe Israel is just, uh, uh, again, uh, a relic of the past that has no right or claim to the land of Israel, or no covenantial, uh, uh, God has no covenantial responsibilities to Israel to protect them, to take care of them, or to save them. Uh, it's a very significant issue in the days uh, in which we live, and so I, I just want to take some time to kind of uh, explain some of this and, and give you some of the foundation of this theology so that you know what we believe and why uh, we believe it here at Calvary Chapel. So I want to start in Isaiah chapter 10, and you know, we're in the book of Isaiah. Pastor Bob will be here this Wednesday night teaching. He did a wonderful teaching uh, here uh, last Wednesday night in Philippians chapter 3, so he'll be teaching again this Wednesday as we are, he and I are working out a schedule here, a teaching schedule, um, as he will be retiring officially at the end of this year, and I'll be um, assuming the position as senior pastor of the church officially the 1st of January 2021. This is all 
a plan that we have in place. Um, and so Pastor Bob will be here teaching Wednesday night, and then he'll probably take the following Wednesday off, and I'll be back in Isaiah on my expository verse-by-verse study through uh, the book of Isaiah. And then maybe every other week we'll switch off on Wednesday night. So, but we're in Isaiah chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 20 through 23 and get right into the teaching here this morning. Isaiah 10 and verse 20 says this, And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped of the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a determined end in the midst of all the land. Now this is a prophecy that's wrapped within a prophecy, really, because the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 10 uh, is more contemporary to the Jews in Judah who were facing an enemy, namely Assyria, who was going to be coming to besiege them and try and conquer Jerusalem in the days of King Hezekiah, which was shortly after this prophecy, within just a few short years after this prophecy was given uh, by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 10. But then as often is the case, in the Old Testament, there are layers to prophecy. So uh, in the Old Testament, if you were a false prophet, they killed you. It was just very simple. If you came up and you promised to speak for God, If you came up and said, thus saith the Lord, and you made a prediction or you made a prophecy uh, to God's people, specifically to Israel, and you claimed that it was a prophecy from God, and you were wrong, or you were teaching the people to go after other gods or to offer their children as sacrifices to the gods of the lands or whatever, um, uh, they would take you out and they would stone you to death. They would, they would stone you to death because they didn't want to confuse the people. They didn't want the people to be getting conflicting signals from God. And so a true prophet of God, every one of his prophecies or her prophecies, if she was a prophetess, every one of their prophecies would come true 100% of the time. Uh, that's how they knew that it was a true prophet of God. So oftentimes, uh, especially in the major prophets that we read, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Uh, they uh, would make predictions that would happen uh, in the lifetime of the hearers so that the hearers would know this is a true prophet of God because he gave a prophecy and then it happened and it was fulfilled in our lifetime. But then there would also be layers of prophecies for the future that wouldn't apply to the immediate time period that they were listening. Some of them thousands and thousands of years in advance prophecies were spoken and given. And so oftentimes you'll see this in the middle of a otherwise contemporary prophecy that was for the time and place of the people that the prophet was speaking to, and there'll be this section that has really no real application or very little application to the current situation, but it's speaking of a future scenario. Uh, And then you sort of weave these prophecies together, uh, you know, separating the ones that were to be fulfilled at the time they were spoken, and the ones that are yet to be fulfilled in 
the future. And this is one of these prophecies here in Isaiah chapter 10. Uh, This prophecy is actually speaking of the end times, the tribulation period. It's no longer focused just on the judgment uh, of Assyria that God was going to bring upon their enemies. Now he's talking about this remnant that is going to survive uh, basically the time of Jacob's trouble or the time of the tribulation period, which is when the wrath of God will be poured out upon this world that has rejected God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, the tribulation period. And again, uh, we read, it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped of the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, or Israel, to the mighty God. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a determined end in the midst of all the land. So God is saying there's going to be a remnant of his people Israel, of Jacob, of the Jews that will be saved in the tribulation period. God is going to preserve them. He's going to protect them. And and it says that they're going to escape out of this time of judgment when God is pouring out his judgment upon a Christ-rejecting world. Now, there are a few other scriptures uh, that we'll turn to here quickly. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel also speaks about this time and this remnant of the house of Israel. Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 says this. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that time, Jacob's trouble is what he's speaking of. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Daniel's people, the Jews. Everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Speaking of a general resurrection unto salvation and unto damnation. He says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And so there's going to be this time period of testing. Uh, There's going to be many uh, who are going to be destroyed during this time, but there will be a remnant who will survive, a remnant of the house of Israel. He says about this time, Uh, In Daniel 12, skipping to verse 10, he says, Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And so this is a prophecy. It's a prophecy uh, that has not happened yet in Israel's history, which means it's still a future prophecy, and it speaks about the refining that's going to happen to the nation of Israel during the time of the tribulation period. Now, Zechariah chapter 13, also, Zechariah speaks about this time when he says this in verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd or smite the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. 
Then I will turn my hand against the little ones, and it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. So here you have the fractions that God is giving us, that two-thirds of those who are entering the tribulation period are not going to make it through the tribulation of the Jews, uh, of the nation of Israel. Two-thirds are not going to make it through. One-third is the remnant that we were reading about uh, earlier in Isaiah chapter 10. He says, I'll bring one-third through the fire, verse 9. Refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. Then they will call upon my name and I will answer them. And I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. And so there will be Jews in Jerusalem before the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes back. Now, the Jews don't think that Jesus Christ is their Messiah. Why aren't they going to be surprised when their Messiah returns and it just turns out to be Jesus? And they thought it was going to be David or somebody else that's going to be their Messiah. The Jews are looking for their Messiah, actually, in Jerusalem today. Uh, The Orthodox religious Jews are praying for and hoping for the Messiah to come. As a matter of fact, uh, if you go below the city walls of Jerusalem, there's all these really cool archaeological digs, you know, hundreds of feet under the ground, uh, the old city of Jerusalem. And they have this area, which is one of the holiest places for religious Jews. You know, you have the Wailing Wall and so forth. This is underneath the Wailing Wall, closer to uh, uh, the original uh, uh, archaeology uh, of of when uh, the Jews had their temple and so forth back 2,000 years ago before the Romans destroyed it in 70 A.D., And they actually have a sepulcher of King David, a 3,000-year-old coffin underneath the old city. I've seen it, underneath the old city of Jerusalem. And uh, no one's allowed to talk. No one's supposed to be videotaping. And you have these religious Jews that are there praying. Uh, I believe they're there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, praying there at the tomb or the sepulcher of King David, who they say is King David. They've never opened the sepulcher that I'm aware of to see the DNA of the bones or anything like this. Uh, But they are praying there that God would send back David or send back their king or their Messiah to come and to save them and to deliver them. So the Jews are looking for the Messiah Uh, they're going to be surprised when Jesus Christ shows up to save them. But all of this is still future. This process of uh, one-third being left in it, two-thirds being refined by fire, and then those who are left, God is going to save them. Uh, They're going to call upon my name. I will answer them. I will say, this is my people. Each one will say, the Lord is my God. And then you get right into the next chapter, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1, and you see... Uh, the prophecy of the second coming of Christ or the Messiah to save the Jews from the Antichrist in Jerusalem in the last days. So chapter 14 of Zechariah verse 1 says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. This is a prophecy that has never been fulfilled in Israel's history. It was written somewhere around, oh, I don't know, maybe 450 years before Christ, 500 years before Christ, the time of Zechariah. 
uh, and it's never been fulfilled in 2,500 years. This is a future prophecy that the Jews, the religious Jews of today, look at as their Messiah coming to save them at some point in the future. But it says that before the Messiah comes, all the nations of the earth are going to surround Jerusalem to do battle against Jerusalem. This is uh, the Antichrist is going to come and, and seize the temple and uh, demand that he be worshipped as God in the temple that the Jews are going to rebuild. We read in verse 3, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. So who's fighting for the, against those nations for Israel? Jehovah, Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, Lord. The Tetragrammaton, the name of God, the I am from the burning bush. God himself is going to go forth and fight against those nations. Zechariah 14, verse 3. As he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. So now the Lord Jehovah, his feet, Jehovah's feet, are going to stand upon the Mount of Olives. Well, we know this is Jesus. Jesus has his resurrected body. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's going to return to save the Jews from this existential annihilation from the Antichrist that is coming against them at this time. The Lord is going to fight. He's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives is where Jesus taught about uh, the tribulation period. Matthew 24, Matthew chapter 25, the Olivet Discourse. Jesus was standing in this very same place, the Mount of Olives, talking about his second coming, describing this time period where he's going to return to save the Jews and to uh, judge the devil and all those who are following the devil. He says in verse 5, Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. The Lord is again, capital L-O-R-D. It's the Tetragrammaton. It's the name of God in the Old Testament, the unspeakable name of God, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. Uh, will come. The Lord my God will come. All the saints with you. The saints would be uh, the church, those who are going to be coming back. Revelation chapter 19 with Jesus, following Jesus on his white horse. The saints will be coming with him. And it says, uh, verse 6, and it shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. The eastern sea would be the Dead Sea. The western sea would be the Mediterranean Sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one, and his name is one. None of these prophecies have ever, ever, ever even been remotely fulfilled in Israel's history. So these are future prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. And this is the return of Jesus Christ. Of course, the Jews don't know that it's going to be Jesus, but it is going to be Jesus because this is the Lord. He's the one who is the great I am. And he's going to come and deliver his people. And at that point, it says, The Lord Jehovah shall be the king over all the earth. 
This is when Jesus is going to rule and reign over all the earth. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's going to be the king over all the earth, and he's going to reign in righteousness for 1,000 years. We know this. The Bible tells us these things very clearly and very uh, specifically. Verse 10 says, All the land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate of the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. Verse 11, the people shall dwell in it and no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. All of this is about the Jews. It has nothing to do with the church. These are specific prophecies from God, a covenant-making God and a covenant-keeping God with his covenant people, Israel, the physical, literal descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is not speaking about Jesus coming back to Jerusalem to save the church. It's Jesus coming back to save the Jews at this time. He says in verse 12, And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets. Their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. So something like an atomic blast is going to take place, uh, like what you see from the video in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, where the people are just going to melt. They're just going to be annihilated when Jesus uh, comes back in judgment. It shall come to pass in that day, verse 13, that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor, raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. Judah also will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together, gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. Again, none of this has ever happened in Israel's history before. Verse 15, such also shall be the plague on the horse and the mule, the camel, the donkey, and on all the cattle that will be in those camps, so shall this plague be, and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. This is all future. This hasn't happened yet. There's, there's no uh, prophecies in Israel's history where you can apply these prophecies and say, well, this happened at some point in their history. So we know it's a future prophecy. And again, it's speaking about the Jewish Messiah coming back to save the nation of Israel because God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises to the church, And he's going to keep his promises to the Jews because he's a promise-keeping God. He keeps his word. He can't lie. And if God doesn't keep his promise to the Jews, how do you know he's going to keep the promise to the church? If he's not going to save the Jews after he promised to save the Jews, if he just says, well, I'm not going to save the Jews anymore. I've replaced them with the church, and therefore I'm not going to... Uh, you know, be held to all these promises that I, I made to them, well, then how can you trust that God is going to save you and me in the New Testament if he won't fulfill his promises to the Jews from the Old Testament? Now, in Revelation chapter 12, Revelation is a book of last things in times, specifically detailing the description of the tribulation period. And then there's a lot of uh, allegorical parables or, or allegories uh, metaphors and things like this, uh, but there are some also some very literal things, uh, although there are many metaphorical things also uh, in the book of Revelation, but it's all about this time period, the tribulation period, the last days, and the second coming 
of Jesus Christ. But we read this in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns on his heads, or diadems on his heads, His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Verse 6, Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God that she should that they should feed her there 1,260 days or 42 months or three and a half years. This is the great tribulation period. The tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel, is a seven-year period of time. This is half, the last half, the great tribulation period, the last 1,260 days. So you would say, well, what does any of this mean? It's, it's actually it's very simple, actually. Uh, the great sign appearing, so this is metaphorical, of course. It's an allegory, but it's a picture. The woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head with a garland of 12 stars is none other than the nation of Israel. This is not the Virgin Mary. It has nothing to do with the Virgin Mary. This is Israel, the nation of Israel, because the Messiah came through the nation of Israel. Jesus is a Jewish Messiah first, before he was a Gentile Savior. He is the Jewish Messiah. So Israel, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And then you see another sign in heaven, the great fiery red dragon having seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems on his head. We know this is the devil, the dragon, the devil, Satan. He is, he is the dragon here, we're told, uh, later in the chapter. It says, His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. So this is how we know that one-third of the angels became demons. When Lucifer fell and Lucifer rebelled against God and tried to establish his own authority or to ascend to equality with God, he was cast out of heaven. It was the fall of Lucifer, and then he became the devil and Satan. Well, he deceived and he drew one-third of the angels with him. One-third of the angels with him when he rebelled against God. And these are now the demons who harass us and, you know, the battle not against flesh and blood, Ephesians chapter 6, that we're fighting with are these fallen angels. It's interesting the Scripture calls them stars, and that when you see the pentagram, which is the sign now, it's been adopted into witchcraft, uh, some of the more uh, uh, pagan religions, uh, but it's also a sign of Satanism. It is a star that's upside down. The pentagram is an upside down star with the goat heads and the chin, and the, you know, it's, it's a star turned upside down. Why? Because these are the fallen angels. These are the fallen stars that have come down to the earth, cast out of heaven, and this is uh, what's being talked about here. A third of the stars of heaven uh, came, or or, uh, he drew them with his tail. He threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman 
Israel, who is ready to give birth to the child, to devour her child as soon as it was born. You remember that Satan was trying to kill Jesus when he was just a baby and his parents had to take him uh, into Egypt until uh, Herod was dead. So the devil was trying to kill Jesus even when he was a, a small baby. It says she bore uh, a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. So this is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the male child coming from Israel. Um, uh, Psalms chapter 2 talks about this one, this Messiah. He says, uh, thou art my son, today I have begotten thee, the son of God. And he uh, is going to rule the nations or the world with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God into his throne. So this is, this is you know, his whole early, early life. It's kind of like outside of time, God is, is, is showing John the Apostle what, what happened in the spirit realm. Uh, but Jesus, the child, is going to be caught up to God into his throne. And Jesus is now seated there uh, at the right hand of the Father, there to make intercession for you and for me. It says, then the woman, again, back to the woman, this is the nation of Israel, fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God <clears throat> that they should feed her there for three and a half years. The last half of the tribulation period, uh, uh, many people believe that this is actually going to be the rock city of Petra on the border of Israel in the land of Jordan as a uh, fortified place where the Jews are going to flee after the abomination of desolation takes place where the devil comes in or the Antichrist comes in to the Holy of Holies in a temple that the Jews will have rebuilt and declares that he is God and demands that he be worshipped as God, then he's going to turn and persecute the Jews uh, and try and destroy the Jews. And they're going to flee for three and a half years and go into this place where God is going to shield them or protect them during the tribulation period, at least the great tribulation period, the last three and a half years. Skipping to verse 13... We read this about the woman. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the child. The dragon is the devil. He's been cast down from heaven. Uh, he's persecuted the woman, and he sure has persecuted the woman. The Jews, everywhere they've gone, they've been persecuted by just about everybody. The nation of Israel to this day, anti-Semitism is just a uh, a plague upon mankind. It seems like wherever the Jews go, people just hate them just because they're Jewish. Uh, that's satanic. Uh, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, verse 14, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Again, the time, times, and a half a time is speaking of the three and a half year tribulation period. A time would be one year, uh, times would be two years, and a half a time would be a half a year. That's three and a half years again. You see this over and over again, three and a half years, three and a half years, three and a half years, the last half of the seven-year tribulation period. So God is going to help her to escape to this place in the wilderness where she's going to be protected uh, for a time, times, and half a time. Verse 15, so the serpent spewed out water out of his mouth like a flood, after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. Satan hates the Jews because God has covenantal promises with the Jews that one day 
the Jews are going to bring forth the Messiah that's going to destroy Satan and, and cast him into the lake of fire forever and ever. So the dragon hates the woman, hates Israel. Uh, he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and who have the testimony of Jesus Christ. These would also be the tribulation saints that he's going to be coming against during this time. So in order to understand all of this, um, you need to understand that these are covenants and, and uh, agreements that God has made with the Jews for thousands and thousands of years that he is still going to fulfill. Uh, remember, we're just reading in Revelation. That's the New Testament. Speaking about the Jews, the 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, literal. 12,000 literal Jews from the 12,000, from the 12 tribes, literal tribes, 144,000 are going to be sealed. They're going to be protected during the tribulation period. And they're going to be those who are evangelizing the world during the tribulation period to bring people to Jesus Christ. And the enemy is not going to be able uh, to stop them. So this, this is the New Testament revelation speaking about God's covenantal promises to protect and save his people, Israel, separate from the church. Now, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 5, speaks about, again, this time period of the tribulation period. For thus says the Lord, Jeremiah 30, verse 5, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins, like a woman in labor, and all faces turned pale? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, for it is the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob is another name for Israel, the time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. The Lord is going to save the remnant. Verse 8 of Jeremiah 30, For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I, will whom I will raise up for them. And perhaps that's why the Jews sit and pray 24-7 at what they think is the tomb of David, that God will maybe raise up David from the dead to be their savior. We know that Jesus is the son of David, and he's coming of the tribe of Judah, of the, of the household of David, to come back and to rescue his people. So when it speaks of David their king, it's speaking of Jesus Christ. Therefore do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from afar, and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest and be quiet, and no one shall make him afraid. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all the nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you, but I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. And so God is going to save Israel. He's going to come back. The son of David, Jesus Christ, their king, is going to come back and save them and fight for them and rescue them, although two-thirds will be refined as as though in fire, and only one-third of the Jews will uh, survive that tribulation period. But one-third will survive. In Joel chapter 2, the prophet Joel speaks about this. He calls it the day of the Lord, which is the, another title or name for the tribulation period. 
Joel chapter 2, verse 1 says, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots over mountaintops, they leap, like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Before them, the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Every one marches in formation, and they do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. Verse 10, the earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before His army, for His camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes His word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? This is the judgment of God poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. This is the tribulation period. Now, Jesus also, one uh, New Testament passage, Jesus speaks in some uh, specificity of this, specifically, details it in Matthew chapter 24, again in the Olivet Discourse, taught from the Mount of Olives. He taught this from the Mount of Olives. He's going to return, and his feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives when he returns, which is just the hill, uh, Mount Scopus, just right across from Jerusalem, the hill right there to the east of the city of Jerusalem. Matthew 24, verse 15, Jesus says this. He says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Now, the elect that he's speaking of is not the church here. This is to the Jews. There are covenantal promises 
that a Jewish Messiah is going to come back and save Israel, save the Jews. This has nothing to do with the church. This is based in Jerusalem. The church is not based in Jerusalem. The church is all over the world. You might say the church, the Catholic church is based in Rome. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox church is based in Greece. The Russian Orthodox church is based somewhere in Russia. You know, I mean, you could, the Anglican church is based in England. So you could look at all of these churches. None of them are based in Jerusalem. So this is not to the church. The Jews he's talking to in Jerusalem in the last days, he's warning them. These are God's elect people, the Jewish people. And he's warning them about this time of the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And again, this is also described for us in Revelation chapter 13, where it talks about the Antichrist forcing everyone to take a mark upon their right hand or their forehead. The Antichrist and the false prophet and whoever fails or neglects to take the mark of the beast will not be permitted to buy or sell. Ultimately, they'll be tracked down. They'll be in prison. And if they still won't take the mark of the beast, they will be beheaded by the Antichrist. So he's talking about this time period that is, that is coming. And he's talking about the Jews who are going to be in Jerusalem. He says, pray that your flight would not be in the winter. Why? Because the, it's cold. Sometimes it, it, it's windy. It's snowy. It's rainy. It's hard to travel. And he says, and pray that this abomination of desolation uh, where the Antichrist goes into the Holy of Holies, declares that he is God, demands to be worshipped as God. Pray that this doesn't happen on a Sabbath day. Again, why would that matter to the church? The church doesn't celebrate the Sabbath day. But the Jews still celebrate the Sabbath day. That is their holy day of rest. And everything in Israel shuts down on the Sabbath day, especially in Jerusalem. Everything shuts down in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So Jesus is telling them, pray that this does not happen on the Sabbath day because it's going to be even more difficult for you to exit and to escape the wrath of this one, the Antichrist, who is going to turn again against the woman to try and devour her, to try and destroy her, and God is going to preserve her, the woman speaking of Israel. Now, I want to get just a little bit, of, I want to get some definitions out for you here as we, as we wrap up. But what is dispensationalism? And I, I'm not here to teach a class on theology, believe me. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a theologian. I'm just a pastor. But uh, dispensationalism is something that you really need to understand because it's, uh, it, it is pretty important to our eschatology or our study of last things, our belief of what is going to come upon the earth, uh, which is our eschatology, our study of last things. Um, I have a book here from Hal Lindsey. Many of you remember Hal Lindsey. Uh, who wrote The Late Great Planet Earth back in the, I think it was in the early 70s or late 60s, great, uh, great uh, pastor who's had a ministry for many, many years um, uh, speaking specifically about the rapture of the church and the tribulation period and so forth. But this is a book that uh, is called Vanished into Thin Air. This is from Hal Lindsey. It's about 20, maybe about 25 years old. And he's talking about here about dispensationalism. What is dispensationalism? And I'm just going to read a little bit of this to you. There are basically six major theological views. I'm reading from page 139, chapter 6 here. There are basically six major theological views about the rapture of the church. They are the pre, mid, post, and pre-wrath tribulation views. So pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and pre-wrath tribulation views. There is also the preterist view this teaches that virtually all of prophecy has already been fulfilled. 
The Reconstructionists or Dominionists are in this latter camp. There is also the partial rapture view, which believes that only the spiritual Christians go uh, into the rapture. Now, Dominionists uh, or those who teach preterism uh, are not looking for Jesus to return. They are trying to establish God's kingdom on the earth now. Some of them believe that if they make the whole world Christian, then Jesus will come back and rule over the world after we convert the whole world to Christianity through missions work and church planting and so forth. But they are not looking for Jesus to come back and fulfill all of the prophecies, even all the prophecies that we've already looked at this morning. They would say, oh, it's already happened in history. All the prophecies have happened by the time the Bible was completed, uh, uh, and, and there are no future prophecies yet to be fulfilled about the second coming of Christ. These are the preterists. He continues, he says, how can there be so many different perspectives when there's only one Bible? There is a principle of biblical interpretation called dispensationalism. Dispensationalists believe that God dealt in different ways at different times with different cultures according to a divine plan. This is what we believe, dispensationalism. Okay, so he says dispensationalists, that would be us at Calvary Chapel, believe that God dealt in different ways at different times with different cultures according to a divine plan. We get our English word dispensationalism from the Latin word dispensatio. That word was translated in the Latin Vulgate from the Greek word oikonomia. Oikonomia is the original word that's used here for ages or eras or epochs, which we get the word dispensational from. Uh, Oikonomia, which is really we translate into the English word economy. The Latin word means to weigh out or to dispense. The word conveys three principal ideas that carry over to English meaning. Number one, the action of dealing out or distributing. That's what dispensational means or uh, oikonomia. The action of dealing out or distributing, the action of administrating, ordering, or managing the system by which things are administered, and, number three, the action of dispensing with some requirement. The American Heritage Dictionary defines a dispensation in this way, quote, the divine ordering of worldly affairs, a religious system or code of commands considered to have been divinely revealed or appointed, unquote. This is uh, according to the American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language. Then according to the Oxford English Dictionary, a dispensation is a stage in a progressive revelation, progressive revelation, expressly adapted to the needs of a particular nation or period of time. Also the age or period during which a system has prevailed. This again is a definition of dispensation or a dispensation, a stage in progressive revelation. Again, the Greek word uh, oikonomia is even more precise. The word itself is a compound whose parts literally mean to divide, to apportion, to administer, or manage the affairs of an inhabited house. The person or officer, oikonomos, who oversaw a household dispensation was a steward, estate manager, or treasurer. Dispensational theologians use the word dispensation in the context of overseeing a household for its owner. Uh, and so this is, what we, this is what we believe. These divine distinctives are, are dispensations. God has worked differently at different times with different groups of people. 
different dispensations, epochs or eras, how God has related to man throughout man's history. And we'll get more into some of the scriptural details and examples of some of those dispensations uh, next week. I want to also read, uh, let's see, one more definition here on this. Dispensationalism defined by Dr. Charles Ryrie, one of the great uh, uh, theologians of our modern time from, uh, I believe he was teaching over at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'll read this to you, this page 145 of the same book. No better definition of dispensationalism can be found than that of Dr. Ryrie. Quote, a concise definition of dispensation is this. A dispensation is a distinguishable economy in the outworking of God's purpose. If one were describing a dispensation, he would include other things, such as the idea of distinctive revelation, testing, failure, and judgment. But we are seeking a definition, not a description. He continues, In using the economy as the core of the definition, the emphasis is put on the biblical meaning of the work itself, i.e. oikonomia, from the Greek, Economy also suggests the fact that certain features of different dispensations might be the same or similar. Differing political and economic economies are not completely different, yet they are distinguishably different. Communistic and capitalistic economies are basically different, and yet there are functions, features, and items in these economies that are the same. And so... um, There's more, but I'm not going to read more from this today. We'll try and uh, uh, pick up some of this next week also, because I like these definitions that are given from, uh, from these theologians here. But basically, uh, where we get this word um, economias or, or economies or dispensations in the New Testament, it, uh, actually the word is used many times in the New Testament, speaking, it's often translated as ages in, in the New Testament. Uh, I'll give you one example here. In Ephesians chapter 3, Verse 9, Paul the Apostle says this, speaking about these uh, um, dispensations. He says, And to make all see, Ephesians 3, 9, what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purposes which he accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. These administrations, these epics, these eras uh, is what he's speaking about here that Jesus Christ is bringing uh, through the church age or epoch or dispensation. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, uh, we read this, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And the worlds are the ages or the dispensations or the eras or the epochs or the economies. And so uh, we'll, we'll look at some more Scripture next week where we see uh, this word used and employed to speak about different ages or eras or dispensations of God working with people. So here's the, here's the takeaway. God made promises, covenantal promises to Israel that have not yet been fulfilled. So either God is breaking His promises to His covenant people Israel if He never fulfills them, or He's going to fulfill the promises to Israel later He has set Israel aside, now working through the church, which is 
not Jewish or Gentile. It's Jewish and Gentile, neither Jew nor Gentile, male or female, free or slave. We're all one in Christ. So Israel has been set aside because the nation of Israel rejected Jesus Christ the first time he came. They said, we will not have this man to rule over us. Paul the Apostle tells us in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 that God still has promises to fulfill to Israel. But for now, he has set Israel aside. Israel, the nation, is blinded toward Jesus Christ. Because of their rejection of Jesus Christ, they're now blinded, the nation of Israel, the religious leaders of the Jews, uh, until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. So when the last Gentile is saved, and then God takes the church at the rapture, Jew and Gentile are caught up to be with Jesus at the rapture, then he's going to pivot back and he's going to fulfill all the rest of his promises to the Jews. It's just that simple. It's not really that complicated. Um, so we, we, we just have to understand God is a covenant-making God. He's a covenant-keeping God. And if God breaks his promises to the Jews, how can we trust he's not going to break his promises to the church, you see? Uh, it, we want God to fulfill his promises to the Jews because that's who he is. He makes promises and he keeps them. And there are a tremendous number of promises and prophecies yet to be fulfilled that have not been fulfilled from God to his covenant people, Israel. Next week, we'll look at Daniel chapter 9, and we'll uh, look at the 70th week of Daniel, which is a fascinating study about uh, the last seven-year period of time in a 490-year in a, in a covenantal period that God made with the Jews that the first 69 weeks or 483 years have already been fulfilled. There's still one seven-year future period of time that God will fulfill in his saving and delivering the Jews and bringing them back to himself. But that's after the church age is over and we're going to be gone. We're not going to be here. We're going to be raptured and we're going to be in heaven with Jesus at that time. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.